All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Need Some Introduction. This week, but there will be more than one episode this week, but this first episode we're dropping this week is our catch up on Dexter, New Blood. Sona's back from vacation. <laughs> Refreshed and ready to talk about our friendly neighborhood serial killer. Probably more than one now, it appears to be. Make sure you subscribe to us so you know when new episodes are available. We will be having, Sona and myself, will be having a conversation about the excellent new episode of Succession. So you expect to see that within the next couple of days. And I still have recorded uh, all that Marvel catch-up content that I was planning to drop here sometime over the weekend. And I don't know if I'm going to put it on one of the other episodes or maybe just wait till later and we can drop it all on its own. But I've recorded it all. And you know, there's just too many episodes to get out, apparently, for me anyway. <laughs> so um, that should be coming <laughs> any day now, hopefully. But uh, definitely uh, subscribe to us so you know when all that content becomes available. And reach out to us as usual need some introduction at gmail.com if you have any comments and I recommend this to somebody. If you have somebody who you're watching these shows with and you have conversations with them, you think they might enjoy your conversation, please recommend this to other listeners. It's how we find new listeners. So did you watch anything else on your vacation that you uh, could recommend? Yes. Um, actually though, it's really just bringing this full circle to earlier conversations that we've had. Um, yeah. My flight out to San Diego did not have a seat back TV, which oh. was very stressful for me as a mom. It was very stressful to not have to sleep back TV um, because my child did not sleep for a single minute of that Oof. six hour flight. On the way back, I did have a seat back TV and I watched a couple of things that we had talked about previously. One was, um, and given I did watch it with the captioning on because, you know, you have to be available for any uh, whining and whatnot that's going on. <laughs> but I watched Book Smart, mm, okay. which I enjoyed a lot. Um, I thought that was really, really fun, really yes. great, um, very sweet portrayal of their friendship. I just really all out, like I enjoyed every minute of that movie. And I started watching Hacks and I got mm. about halfway through it. Great. Um, also very good. So I will definitely finish Hacks uh, when I find the time. I had recommended both of those to you at one point. And yeah, I love yeah. Booksmart. Uh, Olivia Wilde directing for the first time. And I thought she did a great job, uh, not only with the actresses giving great performances, obviously, but I thought the you know, these kind of dream sequence comedy routines and stuff are pretty complicated. So for her to kind of nail that uh, first time out as a director, I thought she did a great job. I know people um, loved, this movie is so old now, but this is what it reminded me of when I was watching it. I know people loved Superbad. Mm -hmm. I never really loved Superbad, but I did love that. I felt like it was a, a better version of Superbad. I agree that it is loosely uh, the, like the framework of, of Superbad. What right. I liked, what I liked about my favorite gag of that whole show, uh, that whole entire movie, by the way, is I love the fact that these girls are like super smart and they're going to the colleges they want to go to and they have these overachievers but they're like all our losers in our school who are always partying, getting high yes. and having sex, partying too much and not taking school seriously. We're going to make it. And they're all a bunch of losers. And actually yep. all those kids are total overachievers. They're all going to the schools of their dreams. And they're like, the oh my God, we gave up our social lives for this. And I, I love that gag. It's just great. It is hysterical. And I will say that, you know, like on some level, I related to these girls, right? <laughs> yep. But then that part, I was like, no, that part did <laughs> well, not that happen. Didn't happen in our school. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but they are of course going to like an elite school so yeah a lot of fun and yeah same thing with hacks i for me you know people were raving about hacks for me i think it's the fourth episode 
And if you haven't gotten there, I'm not even going to give plot details. I think that's the last one I watched, the one where she finds out about what her daughter, what the daughter has been doing, and she tells Jean Smart about it, that one. I think it's that one, yeah. I mean, are we spoiling? Does it matter? (laughs) That's not the type of show I think you can spoil, to be honest. But uh, (laughs) when when Ava finds out that the daughter's been selling unflattering pictures. Yes, yes. um, Is that the episode you're thinking of? And maybe that's the one where it's just was something about the way the episode kind of ended. It just kind of faded out. Like it didn't really end on like a high comedic note or anything, but it's kind of like these women just kind of coming to an understanding with each other. And I just thought it was perfect. I'm like, wow, this is so great. Like the show has really just, you know, taken us on this journey. And I feel like the rest of the show, and you'll see the rest of it, is I definitely recommend it because the performances are great, if nothing else. And uh, they're very funny. Some of the funniest stuff that happens on the show happens in that later half, but nothing kind of resonates beyond that moment of kind of when they come together. Then it becomes almost like a rom-com where like, then they break up and then they're mad at each other again. I'm like, okay, you're just kind of throwing stuff. You're just extending the conversation for some reason. But uh, for me, it's kind of almost perfect that moment. Yeah, I know. Gene Smart is just so excellent in this. Um, and like just so much nuance to her character and we don't give those types of women enough credit for what they endured to get where they got. And like, you know, I think Ava is the example of that younger generation, right. That isn't giving her the respect that she deserves and is slowly understanding like all that this woman has done and all the credit that she deserves. Yep. And as a matter of fact, I have a couple of recommendations for you, but one I would recommend to the audience in general, especially if you're watching Hacks, because when I was watching Hacks, I was thinking of Joan Rivers as a corollary to exactly. this actress, yeah. right? That's And I'm, there's definitely an element of Joan Rivers to this, but yes. what, uh, what I've just discovered probably was even more so relevant to this was... Uh, I'm watching, I'm listening to a podcast called The Plot Thickens, and they cover a Hollywood story every single season. And this season is about Lucille Ball. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about how Lucille Ball, she was like this comedy dynamo. She invents this giant company. Meanwhile, Desi Arnaz, her husband, you know, who was madly in love with her, but also cheated on her all the time. And there's all this drama, yeah. right? And uh, so there's a lot of, as I, I didn't know, I really don't know anything about Lucy, to be honest with you, until I heard this podcast. And I didn't realize all these kind of innovations that they did. You know, they they started shooting TV shows so that they could be rerun, like shooting them on film. In the old days, you would basically perform on the West Coast and then you would take a break and then you perform for the East Coast or vice versa, actually. She just had a baby. She had been trying to have a baby for years. She was like 40 at the time, very old, has her first child. And she's like, I can't be doing all this. You know, we have this crazy schedule, the kids at home, et cetera. So like, we're going to shoot it once on film and then we're going to broadcast it. And they said, we are going to own the film prints. And mm-hmm. the studio said to them, sure, who the hell wants those? Like the, yeah. <laughs> concept of a re- the concept of a rerun didn't exist. You would perform it again. That's what you did. And of course, they became incredibly famous because, incredibly rich, I should say, because in the summer when she was on maternity leave, they reran the episodes. And of course, these episodes for the first time, people who miss it the first time and people are saying like, oh my God, did you watch I Love Lucy last night? It was so funny. All those people who missed it could catch up on it. So all of a sudden the reruns are getting higher ratings than the original run. And everybody's going like, oh my God, we missed this entire revenue stream. And of course they like invented it and they owned it and they owned Desi Lu, which mm-hmm. also made Star Trek and a bunch of other famous shows. And they become incredibly rich and powerful, et cetera. But anyway, so there's a lot of parallels to that story. So I recommend that. It's very interesting. It kind of talks about her as kind of a feminist icon before that was a concept, but her whole career, it's pretty fascinating. And as a matter of fact, there's a movie coming out in two weeks with Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin, mm-hmm. which is yep. about 
it's the same thing. It's about I Love Lucy. It's about this time period of time. So if you're if you're planning to see that movie, my recommendation is check out The Plot Thickens this season, which just started about three four weeks ago. It's about I Love Lucy. It's basically leading up to the release of that movie, which many people are probably going to go see. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting. And it also dovetails well with uh, Hacks. So uh, and I would recommend that also. I think Gene Smart is great in that. And the girl who I, I Hannah I forget her name, but no, uh, who is a stand up comedian who's never done any kind of acting before other than stand up. And, and uh, you know, I don't think she's as much of a knockout as a performer as Jean Smart is, but for her to be able to hold her own. She's holding uh, her own. Yeah. Pretty sure. impressive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for someone who is just, you know, right out of the, you know, <laughs> just their first job, you know, uh, off yep. of stand up. So, and she's also one of the writers on the show. Very well done. Oh, and my last recommendation for you, something I just caught up on and it does dovetail with what something here, because I know you're a big fan of Hannibal. I am the hugest. Yeah. Which I'm going to start watching, by the way, that's my, I've been trying, I've been trying to watch other thrillers, other horror shows. Uh, I watched the exorcist, by the way, a little bit of the exorcist couldn't get into it. But very interesting, just how these things intersect with our other conversations. You know, I heard very good reviews for the TV show, The Exorcist, but I never watched it. And I had no idea that uh, Alan Ruck and Gina Davis are like two of the roles. I'm like, Gina Davis and Alan Ruck are in The Exorcist show? Who knew? <laughs> but anyway. I did not know, but we just were watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off the yep. other day for a few minutes. And I said, <laughs> God, that man has been working constantly Forever. for decades. Yeah. <laughs> He's never not working. He's on Succession. He yeah. was on The Exorcist just a few years ago when that show was on the air. Like it's not he been was that on long. Spin City. Spin City, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's always working that guy. And uh, but that's not my recommendation. But it does dovetail with these. Speaking of Hannibal, like I said, looking for a thriller show to watch, but not a thriller. Really, really highly recommended. It does have subtitles. You have to read subtitles, everybody. Mads Mikkelsen got an Academy Award nomination last year for a Dutch movie that he made. You know, he's Dutch, and it's called Another Round. Have you heard about this, Sona? I haven't. Oh my God. So this guy is like having a midlife crisis. Him and his friends, his bros, they go out and they drink and they eat. And his life is just kind of, he's just kind of in a funk. And one guy, this is apparently a true theory. This uh, philosopher of some kind said that the human body is like off balance if it's not a little bit drunk. Mm-hmm. You need to be a little bit drunk to be like at the correct equilibrium. <laughs> so they decide to like start a little experiment where they try to be a little bit drunk <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Um, it, what genre is this movie? It's a drama. It's a comedy. It's mostly a drama, but it, it has a lot okay. of comedy in it. Very interesting. And yeah, so they basically start to like hide booze inside the school and they're, you know, they, they buy blood alcohol content monitors so they can kind of <laughs> see where they're at. Right. And, mm-hmm. and their life starts to improve drastically. Right. So then they start pushing it a little bit more, pushing it a little bit more. So it's a, it's a great movie. The performances are great. It's sad at times and he's great in it. The last couple of scenes of the movie, you really see where he got his Academy Award is a kind of these exuberant moments towards the end of the film where you really see him cut loose and you're just really exciting to see him like kind of perform that way. It's called Another Round. I watched it on Canopy. I think it's available on Hulu also. So yeah, definitely check it out. Great performance by him. And uh, it's very funny. It's very true to life and a little sad, just like all our lives are kind of when you get to the middle <laughs> of your life. <laughs> but yeah, it's excellent. And I really recommend it. If you like Mads Mikkelsen, then check that out. That sounds fascinating, by the way, but I just remembered, and this is hardly a recommendation because I am so far behind on this, but finally, for the first time in my life over this weekend, I watched Stand By Me. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you think? It's great, right? I'd be like, <laughs> yes, it was wonderful. <laughs> I think I'm the only person in the world, or at least in the US, who hasn't seen that movie, at least over a certain age. 
And it was just a really great movie and really, I would say, fun to see all these actors when they were younger. But like, of course, like the bittersweetness of saying River Phoenix, you know, yeah, but yeah. Um, it, like it was very sad. Like the Wikipedia, I looked up the cast, right? Because certain people, I was like, oh, who is that person again? And, you know, everybody has like a current photo of them. And then River Phoenix's photo is, you know, from when he was like 20 years old. So right. very sad in that way. But um been a great movie and one that I enjoyed and Joel has seen it many times and he enjoyed it with me as well. What a great performance, by the way, that River Phoenix gives as, you know, at such an early yeah. age. Yeah. yeah. Really amazing. He's got so much charisma for like a young actor, but you know, we yeah. kid, a kid, I mean, he's gotta be like what, 12, 13 years old, probably in that yeah. movie. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, <laughs> news alert, everybody. Stand yes, by me. <laughs> have you heard about this little movie? Have you heard about this movie, Stand by me? It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> It was, I, I will say I've been trying to watch this movie for a very long time and it was not available. You know how cheap I am. It was not available for free any place <laughs> until just now it became available. I think it was like AMC on demand or something like that. Okay. This has been a mission for at least I would say 18 months. I've been trying to watch Stand By Me. So. <laughs> and finally success. Finally closure. <laughs> that's a downside. It's funny. That's really one of the downsides of the way things are now is that it's unbelievably convenient. And like you said, I watch everything on streaming too, but it's so funny because everything's available on streaming, but it like jumps between services and sometimes disappears right. for months and months and months at a time. Right. So it's like, if you had the DVD and you know, by the way, I don't have DVDs anymore, but if you do have the DVD, you can just pop it in anytime you want to. Right. So the right. convenience of like having something like, for example, you know, we actually bought when my daughter was really young, we started buying the Pixar movies through uh, iTunes. So we own a handful of them. I mean, when you need a movie for a kid, you need it right away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but now with Disney Plus, it's all there. So she's seen all the Pixars, right? Because they're all mm -hmm. there. But like, you know, someday Disney's going to start charging me $20 a month or something, or they're going to like lose the rights to these. No, Pixar will start its own streaming service and take their property with them or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, if I like, if I just bought that instead of paying the subscription, I would have them all. <laughs> and now I have to go buy another subscription and another subscription. Right. So that's, that's kind of how they're going to get us in the long run anyway. But yes, I mean, I too have the Disney plus subscription. So I understand that fear. Yes. <laughs> if you have a child, you must have the Disney plus subscription. There's no options. <laughs> <laughs> they have us by the short hairs. The number of hours of peace it has provided me are innumerable, except that it's generally in 12 minute chunks, yes. but still I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Especially when they binge it. My daughter will watch back to back to back episodes of Bluey. So even if they're eight uh, minutes Bluey. each, even if they're eight minutes each, <laughs> no, it's binge the whole season. That's like three, four hours at least. So <laughs> Honestly, they could probably price gouge me just for the Blueys alone. Exactly. Exactly. And then that's the second season or the third season is coming. It's coming. Oh, I can't Charlotte wait. Charlotte can't wait. Charlotte can't wait. This episode, Sona, I was originally going to break down each episode. Last week's episode was called Smoke Signals. And uh, as far as titles go, the only thing that made me think about is you know, I was hoping that maybe this show will be able to kind of shed some light on the issues of like uh, indigenous life in the United States. But when they called the episode Smoke Signals, I'm like, I'm not sure this is the place to go for any kind of. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. 
And along the same lines, uh, this episode is called H for Hero. I'm not sure why they went with this title either. This is very strange in uh, Evil, which we were recapping this year. Yeah. They had a whole season <laughs> of, right. you know, A is for, E is for, et cetera. Uh, but H is for Hero, just kind of randomly, there's nothing correlating it to other titles other than, uh, of course, Hero is very important to this particular episode. And, and I was originally- starts with H? I don't know. H, yeah. For Harrison, good point. Good point. H is for Harrison. H is for Hero. But I was going to kind of break down these two episodes and kind of go through them with you. But I realized that pretty much everything I really wanted to touch on from last week really just comes, you know, dovetails directly into this episode. So maybe we'll just uh, break down this one and then where appropriate, I'll try to bring up things that uh, open questions I had from last week as well. That's good. All right. So we start things off and <laughs> our favorite um, character on the show, Deb, <laughs> is there. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I will say as annoying as I found Deb in the initial run, I don't think they were trying to make Deb annoying in the yeah. initial run. I think yeah. I just found her annoying here. I do think they are making a concerted effort to make her annoying. <laughs> True. But I got to say that I think that once again, we, you know, just to be clear <laughs> in the context of the show, Deb is just the, um, Angel on his shoulder, uh, uh, on Dex's shoulder, because it's obviously just his projection. But uh, in this episode, you know, her playing that role, uh, I think it made her more sympathetic <laughs> than um, than she has been in the past. Although a lot of the assumptions she's making, the kind of pro Harrison arguments she's making throughout this episode, you know, you know right away that this is going to fall apart because none of her theories throughout this whole entire episode kind of hold water. And I think as a viewer, you probably know that already. The episode in a large part is Dex debunking his son's own story. Yeah. I mean, I did find her a bit dramatic, but I guess yeah. your inner voice can be dramatic at times, right? When you start spiraling. So maybe. <laughs> <laughs> At least she doesn't like hold a knife to his throat or anything, which I, I love these really, really melodramatic moments they've had in earlier episodes where she like sneaks up behind him and puts a knife to his throat or something like yeah. in a real like in a real like life threatening way. It's like she's not there. <laughs> she's a projection of his mind. Is this supposed to scare us in some way? I don't understand. We see Dexter's trying to have this uh, healthy relationship with his son. Harrison is on the wrestling team. Harrison kind of uh, says, hey, you know, I, I miss Deb, uh, you know, some of the funny things she used to say. And I guess he uses one of her foul mouth uh, terms. Dex kind of yeah. smiles and she said, uh, he goes, why are you smiling? He goes, well, you know, it reminds me of, of Deb. And, De and uh, Dexter does mention that Deb is always on his mind, which, of course, we know <laughs> she's always there. In his mind. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. I actually made a note as I was watching this saying like, oh, look, Harrison and Ethan are hanging out a lot together. I wonder if that's going to lead to something. And yeah, well, this show in general, unlike Succession, let's say, which we're also recapping separately, uh, this show uh, doesn't make you wait long for, for, for any plot developments. They come very quickly. Like, <laughs> yes, like, really the moment do. you say, hey, I wonder what's up with that. It's like, oh, it's in the next <laughs> scene. Don't worry. You don't have to wait long. <laughs> Um, so it's funny. Uh, the next thing I found interesting was that, you know, Kurt is uh, being interviewed by Angela. You know, you seen he's been like, you know, killing these runaway girls for, for years now, we would assume, based on some of the evidence we're seeing in the show. And uh, his cover story for where his son is, where Matt is, is terrible. Like, it seems like he has so many holes in it. It can so easy to de debunk this story completely. What do you think about this? Do you think, you know, he seems a little stressed. You know, he's starting to realize that Angela's not necessarily going to just drop the story. You know, he, she wants some kind of evidence. Uh, she says, I've been calling him. I tried to email him. And she goes, please have him FaceTime me or call me at your earliest convenience. And all of this seems to be very problematic, right? So how is Kurt going to keep this going when there's like absolutely no proof, obviously, that his son is still alive? I mean, I honestly thought it was a good cover to say like, oh, he's dealing with an addiction problem. He's on a bender. 
I mean, I, I thought that was actually a pretty good on your feet explanation for why you wouldn't be able to get back in touch with him. I think believable as far as addiction goes. Shouldn't she ask to see his phone and yeah. the number he was calling from? And like, I, I mean, I know this is a small town, but I feel like this lady's investigative skills are not where they need to be. I agree with that. But at the same time, I think in that specific case, you know, obviously, if they needed to make a case in court, they can easily check Kurt's phone records and things like that. But at this point, I don't think, you know, Kurt's not a, a suspect in, in any crime. So I don't know. But can if you're trying that. to locate the kid, you'd want to know, did he call from his cell phone? I don't know. I feel like there were more questions to be asked there. You know, just given their original theory of the case that he ran off after doing something wrong, she probably still does believe that he legitimately, you know, just kind of flaked out and, and disappeared. So at this point, I don't think she's trying to push too hard in that direction. I, I do agree, first of all, that she's probably not the best investigator. But second of all, that if she suddenly felt like, no, I think he is dead or something else shady is going on, then she would start pushing. To that point, she does start to wonder if this story holds up, because when the dad said that he's been in New York, she said, uh, have you checked his credit cards? And they said, yeah, nothing came up yet. And she goes, well, see if he uses credit cards in New York, right? Because at some point he That's has true. to appear, uh, you know, so there, I think she still is. I should say, I think she's starting to get very suspicious of this story. So I think maybe she's going to be a little more aggressive in investigating. Okay. I'll give you that. And then Molly Park, which I knew, I literally called it out in last week's uh, recap here was that, you know, when she comes out of her car, she literally has her own theme music. And I'm like, well, this girl's not going anywhere. She's definitely going to be in the show. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. <laughs> It's not even theme music. She comes out. It's like a it's like a Western or something. You, they like pan up from her boots and you hear like like a guitar or strum or something. And I'm like, what? What is this? <laughs> Who is this person? <laughs> anyway, they make you a big deal of her, obviously. And uh, what a surprise. Podcaster save the world. This, uh, <laughs> this <laughs> just like only murders in the building. It turns out that the podcasters are much better investigators than the cops. Yes. So she like makes, uh, you know, her, her peace with uh, Angela and uh, she gives her some interesting information. She says, I actually found one of your girls, but hey, you know, we have hundreds of thousands. Once again, something that's legitimately happening that you have all these, um, you know, uh, internet sleuths that are like discovering and solving crimes and sometimes misidentifying okay. suspects, by the way, there's a negative side to this as well, but they've also cracked a lot of cases in the past few years. And uh, she has used her, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers to try to track down these girls and uh, they haven't found most of them. And uh, that means we should explore this as a legitimately missing girl case. And uh, it looks like he, uh, she is going to start collaborating with uh, Angela uh, on this as well. Yes. And I think um, just a bit of trivia, because I am quite old. I think <laughs> the actress who plays Molly was actually in one of the early seasons of The Real World. Oh, I don't know. She's, she's, uh, she's, she's Jamie Chung. She's been in, mm -hmm. uh, she's been in uh, quite a few, I mean, she's relatively <laughs> well-known now as an actress, mm -hmm. but I, I didn't realize she had that uh, interesting. Yep. So the next thing we see is Harrison. Oh, tell me what you think about this scene. Harrison is in the bleachers at the school and he is listening to one of Molly Park's episodes on killers, the episode about the Trinity killer. You know, they even have a picture of Harrison's mom there and you know harrison has a bit of a flashback to uh, the death which i mean i don't know how old he was but i guess he has some memory of it potentially but i can't get a read on what they're trying to do with harrison's character what do you think this first scene means here well definitely when i saw john lithgow's face come up on the screen i was like dun 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 you know yeah. right? Yeah, right so right. um which i think was not entirely clear to us before right. <laughs> um i either way right whether he knew about 
his mom and what had happened to her. I mean, he knew that Hannah, right, was his stepmom, but it wasn't clear to me what he knew about his bio mom and how he had ended up with Hannah. Really interesting to me that he knows everything essentially on that side, at least. Makes me curious about whether he is investigating things further regarding how this all came to be and maybe going to be like on to Dexter as to, you know, who he really is. What do you think? I don't know what this means in this particular moment. Harrison, uh, you know, pretty much in the next scene, Dex gets called up, has to show up at the school. Harrison's been attacked by Ethan. So Ethan, like we saw in the last episode, had been showing Harrison some of his artwork where he basically has all these guns and he's going yeah, to the, all the makings of a school shooting happening right there. Really legitimately. Correct. <clears throat> yeah. However, you know, Harrison sees this and maybe we can go back to the previous episode to kind of start having this conversation when Ethan FaceTimes with Harrison and shows him his artwork. How did you read that? Because he doesn't seem to be disturbed by what he's seeing. So do you think he's hatching a plot there to make himself mm-hmm. into a hero? Mm-hmm. Like, is this, or is he a true vigilante? This is what I can't get a read on Harrison right now. I'm not sure if the show is trying to make him out to be a good guy who is maybe a vigilante like his dad, or at least he sees himself as a, as a good guy, but a pure vigilante, or is he like a sociopath who is going to like have a school shooting and needs to pin it on somebody, for example, right? Like, what's your read on Harrison right now? I'm not sure which of those two sides I would fall on, but. I did think that when it came to his reaction to those drawings, for whatever reason, I felt that he was acting, acting. Yeah. I didn't feel like it was genuine. So maybe, yeah. So if you read it that way, and I and I couldn't read it. I think they left it very ambiguous to me anyway. But if I'm reading it your way, if that's legitimate, that he is not comfortable with what he's seeing, maybe he is making a decision to say, like, I think this guy is going to snap and he's going to preemptively take him out. And um, which so- is like very much like pursuant to Dexter's credo. Right. Correct. Uh, correct. The type of person you're allowed to do this type of thing too. Um, although Dexter, I think, waited until the crime was committed. I don't. I'm not sure he ever preemptively did it. Yes, <laughs> I think that's yeah, Dexter. <laughs> I mean, normally, I mean, Dexter was investigating normally on the show. Dexter was, at least at the beginning of the show. Later on, it, 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 the way he was tracking down these people became kind of strange, and maybe the show didn't even care anymore because you know it's well established so they just kind of say he and he kills somebody else let's not worry about it. like he reads a newspaper article i'm gonna go kill that guy. <laughs> but initially in the first season it was people who were getting away right like it i think in the one of the very first uh, episodes uh someone had gotten away because of something happening to the blood evidence which i think dexter had messed up the blood evidence in the lab after the fact mm-hmm. to release the guy so that he could get his uh-huh, own uh-huh. Empty, uh, vengeance on him so i think that was much more manipulated than in this case. However, Dexter in this very episode that we're recapping basically says that, right? Like he calls out that Harrison has a credo, like that basically, you know, Harrison is following, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's maybe overly reading into it, but he's saying, yeah, he like saw what this guy was capable of and he interceded in some way. Right. I mean, that's one way to read it. I'm not hundred percent sure if that's the case. I actually, and maybe this is me biasing my own opinion, in last week's episode, I was like, is Harrison going to do some kind of school attack and then pin it on Ethan? That's what I actually thought. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then I was thinking that Harrison would actually do something and then just pin it on Ethan. But then for him to like take out Ethan like right away before Ethan can do anything, basically, right. it makes it seem like maybe it was purely, you know, vigil- like, you know, his own 
version of, of vigilanteism. Right. Yeah, apropos of nothing, the hat hair thing is really driving me nuts. <laughs> like, On everybody, right? Yeah. What is with everybody's hair? It's like they just all sat down and go like, let's pretend that everyone, you know, they are wearing hats. It's very cold. Fine. Got it. But like no one fluffs their hair after they take their hat off. You know, <laughs> I don't understand. Well, except for the police chief's daughter who never wears a hat, even yes. though it's freezing. And her yeah. hair does look amazing. <laughs> it's just a good point. It's a good point. So she's got her priorities in order. Yeah, I don't know. Like I know longer hair is in for guys right now, but like there's some maintenance required with that if you're not going to keep. <laughs> I mean, you just have to put your hair through. I mean, I, I wear hats. <laughs> you just have to like kind of run your fingers through your hair after you take them off. It's not, it's not that complicated. I mean, I'm not a guy, so I don't know. I can't speak <laughs> to that. But <laughs> but I will say that uh, they have managed to make everyone look very unattractive. Yeah, I mean, like it's such it, it, why I bring it up. It's so irritating because like, it's such an affectation. It's like, you know, the hairstylist on the set is like, this is what hat hair looks like. Everybody <laughs> must have hat hair in every scene. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone just let, let let them run roughshod over the entire cast. They're like, all right, I guess we all have to wear, I guess we all have to sleep in hats <laughs> and then show up on the set the next day when our head, head flattened out. The other thing I found interesting in here is that throughout the episode, we have the Deb character, the Deb uh, persona, which is once again, just some part of Dex is incredibly naive in, you know, always taking this yes. very naive view of like what is happening with Harrison. And I actually yes. called that out. I'm like, this is so naive. Like every single thing, where did this come from? Because once again, it's some subset of Dexter's persona. Where did Dexter get all this um, kind of na naivete from? He was like such a cynic. And of course he comes full circle <laughs> and like completely stops believing anything his, his son says by the end. Mm -hmm. But it just seemed very strange that he had this like weird duality, which once again, luckily, this is something that's only here for one episode because they're, you know, dispensed with it by the end of the episode. I don't know. I guess, you know, she's remembering that child that, you know, he adored her and she adored him and he was innocent and good. And she can't uh, bring herself to accept the idea that maybe he is deviant in that way. Yeah. You know, whatever this side of uh, Deb that's in here is probably also reflecting his own insecurities, right? About him, like not being a good dad, not giving him enough, consider he's a sociopath. So he probably should be a little wary of how emotionally unavailable he is. But maybe that's, a, that, that's what's kind of being conveyed here. This is kind of neither here nor there on this topic. But I, when we saw Harrison looking at that article about John Lithgow, I mean, I did feel for him. Yeah. Like it, it was like, I felt a very poignant scene of him reflecting on what he had been through as a child and how he lost his mother. I mean, that also could screw you up, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beyond genetics. Yeah, absolutely. Beyond your genetics. But that's what's confusing me in the show. I'm not sure what they're wanting us to feel from Harrison, because, for example, we see Harrison show up at the hospital to check in on Ethan. He's like apologizing, like, I'm sorry that this happened to your son. And then, you know, it really feels like he, it really seems like he wants to go and kind of apologize to him or something, but maybe he's just checking to see like, is he going to pull through at all? Mm -hmm. And then when the dad was like, don't ever come visit my son again, his like face, like hardened his little bit of his uh, sociopath face showing through. So once again, I don't know how to read a lot of these scenes. Same thing with, like you just mentioned, when you see him looking at that, the image from that podcast that, yeah, he's like, you know, of course he's remembering his mom and, you know, and what happened to her and needs like, hearing these grisly details. And of course that'd be very upsetting. But then of course, like in the timeline of the show, minutes later, he like attacks Ethan, right? So it's like a very strange course of events there. And, and I'm not sure if the show really, I don't know if the show is just trying to put these disparate moments together just so that we don't know how to read him. You know, your like, toes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we see Dex perfectly lays out the actual attack by recreating it with Deb. 
<laughs> not sure how he can see where the blood spatter goes, even I though, know. I mean, it's very silly. The whole thing is very silly, but does the physics in his brain <laughs> and uh, is able to, you know, recreate his version of the events, which seem to be the, the correct ones. And then Kurt visits Dex and he brings Harrison a, a drone to say, well, thank you for rescuing mm -hmm. all the kids. This is all very strange because the drone has been a bit of a theme on the show. You know, they've been Yeah, it has. And uh, so I wonder how that's going to play out later. And the other thing I think is starting to develop here is Kurt says some things he's on a fishing expedition with Dex, as Dex yes. even says. I mean, why is uh, Kurt asking all these questions of Dexter? Does he suspect Dexter for some reason? That's what maybe what, what was it I found interesting about the whole situation with the drones in general is like, does he have some footage or something of Dexter somewhere? And that's why he might be circling up to Dexter. The other thing I think that is interesting is he's, you know, when Kurt is talking about his son and we even see Kurt at one point is looking at pictures of his son when he was younger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't seem to have be totally careless when it comes to his actual son. But what I wonder is being set up here. Harrison at one point is saying, I'm not a hero. Ethan wasn't all bad. He was bullied. He was a victim mm -hmm. in his own way. And he goes, I guess we all have a bad side and a good side, you know, like a hero side and a, and a bad side. And it's all mm -hmm. a matter of like which side wins out. And while he's saying this, we're cutting between Kurt and, you know, trying to help that runaway girl out, which of course she ends up being in that cabin, which means that she's probably going to be the next victim. Mm -hmm. But initially he looks like he's trying to help her out. We see Dexter as well doing his investigation. And then we're cutting to Harrison. And I'm like, they're paralleling these guys. So I think these are like three different sides of the same coin in a way. I guess you can't have three sides of the coin, but you know, three different <laughs> variations, <laughs> three variations of the same persona. So I think that's being set up. And this might be a spoiler, everybody, because here's my theory of the case. I think that the finale of the show, and we're almost halfway through the season, Kurt is going to find out that Dexter is the culprit and Harrison's going to be put in harm's way because Kurt is going to say like an eye for an eye, a son for a son, basically. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they're starting to apparently we're trying to set up here. Definitely a father son thing happening here. Oh yeah, sure. absolutely. And of course, Harrison is not going to be like these runaway girls, by the way, she, he's a, apparently a survivor and maybe the biggest monster of all. So I guess it re remains to be seen what, what's going to, mm -hmm. how that's all going to play out. Mm -hmm. But I do think that that's what they're starting to set up here. I mean, I definitely think there is a father son thing going on. It's reminding me actually of this show that I don't know who else watched it except me. Um, that was on Showtime. I think it was called Your Honor. Brian Cranston. Uh, yeah, which very much had like, it, it was really just all about like father-son relationships and avenging things on behalf of your family and like that kind of idea. I did enjoy that show, if anyone cares. But there's a second <laughs> season coming, right? I actually, uh, I think- Is that right? I think so. Yeah, I think I heard oh, it. I didn't know I just that. heard recently. Yeah. I definitely really liked it. I haven't seen it, but I, I actually heard mostly good reviews for that. So I, I'm curious. To oh, see okay. It. I'm surprised. I, I must've read just a couple of bad ones. But yeah, maybe I'll try that out. I'm curious. To, I've been curious to hear it. So I've been waiting for somebody to recommend Commend it to me. So I guess that that's a yeah. good one. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Um, it's also uh, set in New Orleans, and it has like that, you know, just like it conveys a sense of place very well. Like it's very much like feels like New Orleans. I, you know, I thought he was really good in it. Obviously, I not obviously, I guess, but I do enjoy watching legal thriller type things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly you definitely have to suspend your disbelief at times. So just go into it knowing that. <laughs> well, that's usually the case, right? <laughs> I mean, it's there are definitely some plot holes. So, you know, people have different tolerance for that kind of stuff. Like, I am one to be like, I'll just go with it if I'm enjoying it. But mm -hmm. some people, you know, get very hung up on the plot holes. And there are some big ones here. So, okay. No, nothing totally airtight like Dexter. 
Uh, so then in the next uh, scene, uh, we, it, it looks like um, after that scene between Kurt and Dex, Molly kind of formalizes this relationship with Angela. They kind of have a cocktail together, actually a few cocktails together, I guess uh, that's implied there. And uh, we find out a little bit about a- Angela's backstory. Like I've been very curious, like who is this Iris person? And, you know, could this daughter be potentially an unwanted pregnancy or something? It seems like probably the math doesn't work, right? Because Iris turns out was her high school friend who disappeared right. at some point. And that she's basically been collecting all of these missing girls uh, ever since then. So that she has like, you know, this board full of her carry board, <laughs> her carry board. Exactly. Yeah. Call out to uh, <laughs> call out to um, Homeland. But, you know, she has if all these girls have disappeared over the decades, probably seems like Audrey probably wouldn't make sense uh, to be Iris's child. Well, if they were high school friends, why couldn't Audrey be? Yeah. They would basically just double her age. So she's probably yeah, she probably is in her 30s, right? I just, for some reason, think because Dexter is probably, I mean, uh, Michael C. Hall is probably in his 50s at this point, right? That um, would be dating someone more age appropriate. But hey, <laughs> that's not always the no, case. No, they never are. Yeah, they exactly, never are. Exactly. Um, so I would say, yeah, she's probably late 30s, which would make it fine yeah. as a teenage pregnancy kind of thing. And she is pretty young. I mean, I remember when I saw her walking with Audrey initially, I thought they might be sisters. So um you know, like, you know, like an older sister, younger sister situation. So anyway, it is possible. Yeah. That Iris might still be, but I guess why wouldn't she have just told her that, but Hey, maybe that's remains to be seen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, you know, if Woody had just gone to the police, like (laughs) (laughs) right, right. so many plots are dependent on why didn't you just say it? (laughs) And that I could have sworn that Audrey said, that at one point she thought Iris was her mom, but that turned out not to be the case. She didn't ex- explain how she knew, but I could have sworn she actually explicitly said that, unless I imagined it. I did not hear that, but it certainly doesn't mean it didn't happen with my poor <laughs> listening comprehension skills <laughs> and my husband piping up at inopportune times with questions about the show that I'm watching. <laughs> are you guys watching together now? You are. He, he did want to watch Dexter, well, right? Is he enjoying know, it? His definition of watching is, you know, <laughs> taking a plot point and discussing it for the next five minutes. So like, <laughs> there's only so much rewinding a person can do. <laughs> <laughs> you should just cap- capture that commentary <laughs> for the podcast. I'll just <laughs> drop it in here. Just have the, the, the recorder going the whole time, your audio recorder. I mean, I do have the captioning on, so I try and read while... <laughs> The ranting is going on. <laughs> Did he have any rants this specific week? Anything that he was hung up on? I know there was something going on while they were discussing how Audrey's mom had abandoned her and her dad had died. And they whatever happened immediately before that, he was off on some tangent about it. <laughs> um, I can't remember what it was. So then we've seen multiple times in this episode, uh, Kurt, has been trying to, first of all, we see this girl with like blue highlights in her hair. Her turns out yes. her name is Chloe that yes. we see Dexter notices Kurt paying attention to this girl and kind of has a little hmm on his face, a little question mark. And then uh, later on, we see that woman who works at his diner actually interrupts him as he's like having some reminiscence of his son and says, oh, that girl's here again and goes and talks to her. And she goes, hey, um, I need more bus fare. And he says, well, I can't give you money, but I can give you, can work here and then earn the money. And she goes, that's not enough. She basically just wants a handout of some kind. Right. Although he seems to be trying to do the right thing. He's saying all the right things. And yes. then of course, uh, what we know, we know what's going to happen. 
And, uh, you know, towards the end, it turns out like, you know, he's basically saying, well, I do have a place you can stay if you'd like. And I'm sure this is the same offer he's made to other runaway girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's where they end up. Uh, by the way, speaking of runaway, I don't know if you noticed, but when he was preparing to kill that girl mm-hmm. in the last episode, whose name I still don't know. She was just like the sacrificial right. name of the show, unfortunately. Yes, really. But when he killed her, like to kind of cover his tracks, I, I guess he killed her sooner than he would have liked to. But he just basically releases her and then kills her right right away and then we see him embalming her he's playing like all these oldies on the radio but the one he starts playing first is runaway the song runaway so i wondered if that is something that is um significant here right that this somehow is recreating something with these girls uh he obviously is prepping them in some way right he's like fixing their bodies and embalming them and he has all these pajamas and things maybe he lost a child or a sister earlier in his life and he's recreating this somehow I'm, i'm just trying to guess what this might Keep leading to. <laughs> I've been reading too many horror novels or something. No, I, I, I'm following you. I just don't have any answers for you, obviously, but I follow what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, they're hinting at something here. So I'm just trying, you know, they're, they're obviously just putting little clues here. But I mean, I, I do feel like I, I was literally thinking like last week, I was speculating. I'm like, is there just like a room somewhere full of these bomb girls like wearing pajamas, like having a slumber party? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be. Surprised. I mean, also, I mean, just a tangent now, but. The music in this episode was like, I mean, I know upstate New York is not so like super, super current, but it was like the whole town was stuck in the 70s and 80s, the music in this episode. But oh, yeah, I think I, I mentioned it in a previous episode where they were like playing Beck and then playing uh, Dinosaur Jr. And I'm like, is this 1988? Like, what, 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 yeah, what, is, what is the really time frame great. for this? <laughs> and I do apologize if I'm collapsing the two episodes because I watched last week's on Saturday and then I watched this week's yesterday. So it is possible yeah. that they're together as well. And these two specifically, these two episodes are very much like of a pair, really. So Right. Yes. And then, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, Harrison has a little bit, I'm a little bit psycho, I'm a little bit hero speech at the gym, which seems heartfelt. Once again, I'm not sure what they're setting up with with uh, Harrison here. He does seem to be having a very heartfelt empathy for Ethan. If I want to read this as generously as possible, I think Harrison is legitimately a vigilante who thinks he's doing good. And that mm-hmm. he uh, he's like doing a calculation in his mind saying, Ethan's dangerous. I got to get him off the board. Mm-hmm. But I don't really want bad things to happen to Ethan, right? He does legitimately empathize with Ethan. The my <laughs> cynical interpretation of all this is that this is all a setup. Like I see in, in the coming attractions, there's like he's having a big party and everybody's like, you know, he's a big hero. Everybody loves him at school. And it's like he's going to lock them all in the cabin and burn it to the ground. It's going to be like he's going to go carry on all of them and just kill them, kill, <laughs> kill everybody in the school. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that remains to be seen. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, so then we have, uh, while he's doing this speech, actually intercutting with this, we actually see Dexter's tearing up his room and finally finds the straight razor, which mm-hmm. not only uh, is the weapon that he used on Ethan on his, uh, he basically cut his thigh to bleed him out. That uh, also it is the weapon of choice for Trinity, right? And now, of course, this makes Dexter worry that is Harrison really the son of Trinity in some way, right? So mm-hmm. I think in some ways quite predictable, mm-hmm. right? But not in a way that disappointed me. I did enjoy watching it, but it wasn't like there was anything about this plot that made me like gasp. What do you think? Honestly, I mean, in the very first episode, I was, I don't know if I imagined it if or was legitimately there. I'm like, he's had a, hiding a knife in his room. <laughs> I was uh-huh. like suspicious of Harrison from the moment he showed up. But I don't mean in that in a negative way. I mean, I think that that is the stakes, right? Dexter is afraid that he's going to repeat the patterns of his father with his son. And then right away when we met Matt 
and we heard about his father, even before we actually met his father, we just heard about this domineering father he had. I was like, oh, this is all going to be fathers and son stuff, right? Right. So Mm -hmm. none of this is weird to me at all. And I don't even mean it, like you said, I don't mean it in a bad way. I think they're developing what they're intentionally have they've been setting up from day one. So all of that, it's working for me. I don't actually have any any criticisms and I can can joke around about how I don't, can't get a read on Harrison. And maybe a lot of that is, you know, there's different directors working on this. There's different writers. So maybe they're trying to juggle too many things at once, but every show has to do that. All of this is working for me right now. I'm not, I'm I'm not that committed to it, honestly. I just think it's, you know, it's watchable. I'm definitely still hanging in there. You know, like you said, I'm not blown away or anything. And, you know, if I want to compare it to, you know, original recipe Dexter, and like, if I'm going to compare this to like the last season of Dexter, it is infinitely better than that. But if I'm going to compare mm-hmm. it to the first mm-hmm. season of Dexter, where like every episode was just like, what's going to happen next? Oh my yes. God, what could pop? Edge know? of your feet. Yeah, exactly. And like every twist and turn of like him being like at one point when you're watching that show, you're like, wait a second, is he doing this? And he's like having some kind of fugue state or something like all that layers of stuff that was happening in that first season is obviously not here. And I wouldn't expect it to be considering this is just really just another chapter in the same. It is totally fine. <laughs> just totally yeah, fine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm watching it. I am enjoying the plot, uh, even though I do feel parts of it are predictable. What I am interested in is the idea of whether Harrison has some clue about Dexter and yes. his past. Right. Um, and that, I think, could be really riveting, you know, watching him find out about that or finding out what he knows about that. I think that could be really interesting. Totally agree. I actually think that the version of the show that I'd like to see from this point on, if in the next three episodes, let's say, that storyline actually wrapped up. And then, like you said, now we just have Dexter and Harrison and they know what's up with each other and they Mm -hmm. have to work this out. Like it was purely Mm -hmm. psychological, almost like a cat and mouse where they're like living in the same house, but Mm -hmm. they have to keep appearances and they're trying to get a read on each other and they know more than they're telling about each other. And they really have to come to terms with each other. That's the version of the show I would like to see. Probably not the type of show, especially given Dexter's history, probably not the type of show they're setting us up. But that's what I would like to. I mean, I'd like, like to see something way more psychological. But I have a feeling that kind of what I mentioned before is going to be some kind of cliffhanger where Harrison's in danger. Dexter has to decide, is he going to reveal himself? Is he going to save Harrison? Uh, is Harrison a good guy, a bad guy? Is he worth saving, et cetera? And I think that's pretty much going to be the stakes for the rest of the show, which is fine. I'll watch that. But I, like I said, I would kind of like them to surprise me and kind of wrap that up early and then really make it about these father and son accepting each other or not. Right. And I think that would be interesting. Yeah. But what do you think about, I'm sorry, I'm detouring again here. No, What's up with the extraneous millionaire that keeps showing up yes. here and there? Good question. I was something that as I was doing this recap, I'm like, the one thing I want to talk about <laughs> is that I did mention it. And when I did the solo recap last week, I did notice that he also, when he was driving, when he kind of threatens Audrey a little bit with that kind of creepy interchange they have in the street, he's also listening to some old timey music. And yes, I'm like, that's I what wonder. I was the whole town is stuck in the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's two versions of old timey, right? Because that's the thing is that, like, you know, yeah. they're listening to music from like the 50s. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> the kids are listening to music from the 80s and 90s. So that well, you know. <laughs> as it, it's proportional to the generation. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> but they did go into a time warp of some kind. But anyway, I did think that might be That's a clue. That's the big reveal. This all yes. is set in the 70s. <laughs> exactly. Dexter has somehow teleported himself. This is actually <laughs> a prequel to the original <laughs> Miami show. And actually, 
<laughs> and actually, yeah, I didn't even know that would work. I tried to make that work, but it doesn't make sense because Dan I know there's actually been watching Dexter's own father this whole, this whole time. I don't exactly. Know. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We digress. Okay. The extraneous millionaire. What do you think? Yeah, that's a good point. That is the one thing that doesn't kind of fit into my theory. I assume that Kurt and that millionaire have some kind of an agreement of right. some kind. Right. There, and, and we haven't seen how they merge together yet, how they mesh. So I think there is something there. I think that that is going to play into this somehow. And that's inter- That's a good point because that definitely is going to be important later. I have a feeling that's one of those things that where they introduce early, but it really doesn't pay off until late in the game. So maybe the show is going to make some kind of like they're taking us in this direction. And maybe there is going to be some kind of pivot that we haven't seen yet. There's something that there's a piece that's missing so far in the plot. Yeah, because it's like every time you forget about him, they bring him back so that you're like, oh yeah, that guy. They might be part of like some kill club where they hunt people you know right and uh but then it doesn't seem to be that way because this kind of whatever's happening with these girls seems to be more personal to kurt yeah so now i don't know if that's the case or not but i do think there's more to this and i do think that there's some kind of something with kurt and uh this other guy and then next week we do see i know you're not good with quick cutting but (laughs) we do see uh we see harrison partying with a bunch of the kids so i wonder oh you know what because i watched this on demand i had no scenes did you really Yeah, I saw had scenes at the end. Yeah, I had no scenes. It just it's right. At the, it's at the very end of the credits. You have to kind of hang around there for the credits, and then they have it just like for a few. Um, it's just it's really short. It's only like they don't do like a full two minute preview. It's like a twenty second preview or something at the end. But it looks like you see Harrison partying with the kids, and that's why I was joking that you know like they're he's uh, <laughs> luring them all out to in the campgrounds again, hanging out by the campgrounds. We also see some quick cuts of the girl Chloe now in that room, and uh, mm-hmm. she has um. The camera, once again, we see the, the eyepiece that says you're already dead around it. In, hey, wait a second. Yeah. That's not the girl that just got killed? Oh, yeah. No. In other words, we see the in this episode that we just watched, this girl, the girl with the blue highlights, is being walked out into that oh, campground. Yeah. And then we see that room. We see the camera with the eye ah, that says, sorry, so sorry. I, I assume that I'm I assume that that's going to that's like her POV. So we're going to see gotcha. Chloe is now in the campgrounds. What I'm interested about now is joking that Harrison's going to go like burn down all the high school kids at the uh, at the compound or something. But mm-hmm. um, but actually, wouldn't it be interesting if the kids are partying out there and stumble upon this girl and mm-hmm. then that the story and then the mystery starts to unravel from there. And then, of mm-hmm. course, what is Kurt going to do to cover his tracks? And, you know, that could be another direction the show goes in, actually. So I think that would be too soon for that to happen at this point, because we'd only be halfway through the season. That would leave a lot of show left for for all that to, to unravel. Yeah. But who knows? Who knows? I am interested still. Same. Looking forward to finding out. We will see. What are you going to say? Uh, Deb could tone it down a couple notches, but. Oh, always, always. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we will see what happens with Dexter. And uh, and I think that's it. Oh, and we will uh, pick that up. Uh, we will be recording our conversation about succession very shortly. So yes. keep your eyes peeled, everybody, for in our feed because there will be a succession conversation coming your way very shortly and i want to get sona's impressions of last week which was absolutely you know hilarious and then at the end very dark and this week too which is hilarious and then at the end very sad (laughs) it's a theme (laughs) exactly it's kind of the direction the show's going i think so yeah it is all right talk to you soon okay talk to you later bye